It's great to hear you singing. Sounds like sounds like you meant it. That's great. Well, tonight we are going to look in the book of Proverbs. We're in Proverbs chapter 16, beginning in verse 4. I'll invite you to turn in your Bible to Proverbs 16, 4. And let's begin in prayer. Father, how we do thank you that we can sing praise to you. How great thou art. And then think about that day when we will see you face to face and be singing praise to you in glory with all the angels and all the believers. And what a what an anticipation. And Father, I thank you for uh, what you're doing every day in directing our lives and guiding us and forgiving sin and Oh, so many, many things, Father. We give you thanks for. And Father, we pray that you would teach us your word tonight, guide us into your truth, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Now, I said our study is in uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, but I want to begin by commenting on the fact that I really love, and I'm sure many of you do also, Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2, and it says, therefore, the therefore connects us with the previous chapter, which is the listing of the heroes of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, that's the testimonies of those before us who have lived in faith, let us also Lay aside every weight. That would, since this is going to talk about running, that would be something that hinders us in running our race, giving our best effort in serving the Lord. So lay aside every weight and the sin. The sin, uh, probably in, in the context of, of, of Hebrews, is the sin of unbelief. And the sin which so clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, every portion of scripture will help us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, which we are told to do here. And God has given us all scripture, as it says in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired, breathed out by God, and is profitable to us for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So every portion of scripture uh, does that. But I have been enjoying looking in the book of Proverbs and just seeing how in such such precise ways the book of Proverbs is encouraging us in running our race and is encouraging us in, in enduring and in all kinds of different situations. That's been one of the beautiful things about all these different Proverbs. So many different aspects of life that uh, it's training us in which every portion of scripture does, but Proverbs certainly is included in that. Tonight we come to four Proverbs that train us in having the right purpose in life, train us in the danger of pride, 
Train us in living free from the bondage of sin and train us in being a peacemaker. Every one of those are important and we need. Uh, let's read from the book of Proverbs chapter 16. And if you're able, stand in honor of God's word and follow along as I read Proverbs 16 verses 4 through 7. <clears throat> verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, tonight we will look at these Proverbs, and as we've been doing in this section of Proverbs, every one of these individual Proverbs we have given a title. They are adapted from a book called The Wisdom of Proverbs by Bob Beasley. First one tonight, let your purpose be to glorify God. Look at verse 4. The Lord has made, and of course, this is the one who created all things, made all things, and so it's no surprise that he has made everything for its purpose. Think about it. Every star, every flower, every animal, even the tiniest molecule that you can only see through a microscope, every nation, every person, and you can go on and on, everyone serves its purpose for which God made it. God had a purpose in every single individual one. He is that great that uh, he can do that. And as a result, because of that, everything is under God's control and under his direction. And therefore, we, we joy in Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called according to its purpose. And wonderful promise, uh, we can rejoice in Genesis 50 verse 20 where uh, Joseph speaks God's truth to his brothers who were afraid after their father died that he would, he would punish them for what they had done. And he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So it's a wonderful promise and statement and doctrine in the word of God about the sovereignty of God, that he has made everything for his purpose. But look at the direction that this goes. Even the wicked for the day of trouble, even the wicked exist under God's sovereign plan in order to fulfill his eternal promises and his eternal plan and his eternal purposes. That is mind-boggling that even the wicked would serve for that purpose. There is a book in the Older Testament, one of the prophets, Habakkuk, questioned, the prophet Habakkuk questioned because God revealed to him that because of uh, Judah's uh, ungodliness and disobedience to God, God was going to use a wicked nation that was more wicked than Judah to punish Judah. 
and Habakkuk thought, God, God do that? that? That that just didn't fit his thinking. And you read in his book, and you, and you see how God showed him, yes, that is true. Even the wicked will serve for the very purposes of God. Uh, and then we also find that and to the answer to that in this proverb. That's what this last part of the proverb is using. Now, do note that God often uses wicked people and nations, but that doesn't mean for one moment that he approves of their wickedness. He, he never approves of wickedness. But this wickedness he uses for his glory. Uh, look at the next part of the verse. It says, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The day of trouble is speaking of judgment, the judgment of God that the wicked will experience. God, God is glorified in the punishment of evil, even, even man's rebellion against God's will in the end, will serve his purpose. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. There is a verse in Psalms that's unique for this. Psalm 76 and verse 10, the first part of the verse. Psalm 76, verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Um, that phrase, the wrath of man, uh, can be taken two ways. It can be taken uh, about as being referring to God's wrath against man, which is judgment, or it can it can be referring to even man's most hostile acts against God's will will bring God's praise. And glory when he demonstrates his justice and pouring out judgment. You see, God's judging demonstrates one of the attributes of God. God is just. Sin must be punished. We love talking about the attribute of God, the attribute of love for God. Oh, God so loved the world, and so on. But it's also true he has an attribute of justice. And when that justice is put on display, God is glorified. That, that's a, a, quite a sobering thought uh, in Scripture. So we have to realize God uses evil for his purpose and for his glory. It's not that he approves of it, but he uses it. Remember that verse that I referred to earlier in Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but God minute for good. Now, since everything that God created, God has a purpose for. What is God's purpose for you as a believer? I would throw that question out to you as a good question to dig into in your reading through the Bible. Uh, I think it's, it's good um, you may have a wonderful Bible reading plan, and I hope you do. Uh, but let me throw out another suggestion in a, for a Bible reading plan. To be reading through the Scripture, let's say the Scriptures that you're reading in your Bible reading plan, 
but looking for something specific. And so if you're reading through the Bible in a year, as you're reading through it this year, looking for a specific answer to a question, for instance, what is the purpose of man? And every time in your reading you come across some revelation about that, you write it down. And uh, when you have read through the Bible, you're going to have a wonderful uh, kind of exposition of that particular subject. And you can use all kinds of subjects, but I would recommend this one as a good one to start with. What is God's purpose for the believer? Uh, let me give some suggestions of verses, uh, for instance, that do show that, that you know these verses, but Romans 8.29, after that wonderful verse, we know that all things work together for good, and then he talks about those whom he has predestinated and called, and, and so on, has he glorified. It's his purpose to bring us to glorification. There's 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that in everything we are to give thanks and glorify God. There's 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where he, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of, of God. And so part of the purpose of you and me as a believer is that we would demonstrate righteousness. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 is another, another, uh, another one. But loads more that you'll find when you're reading through scripture. And it will all be completed when? When we see Christ. 1 John 3, 2. We will see him and we will be like him when we see him. That glorification will be completed. So looking at this at every, God has a, a purpose for everything, everyone. That includes you. And if you're a believer, what is his purpose for you as a believer? And he will see you through to the complete perfection of that purpose. That's a wonderful promise of scripture. So my question is, are you consciously seeking to fulfill that purpose? Then we have our second proverb tonight, and that is in verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5, beware of secret pride. In verse 5, it says, everyone who is arrogant in heart. Now, this is a proud person. And a proud person is pictured in Proverbs as being among the worst company. Where do I get that? Well, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, uh, the, Solomon says there are six things that God hates, yea, seven things. And he gives this list of things that God hates. And the very first one in the uh, King James is a proud look. Uh, in the uh, ESV, it's haughty eyes. But it's having to do with this attitude of pride. It is something that God hates. And so it's no surprise that uh, the, this would be in this proverb. Arrogance or pride is a direct uh, affront to God himself. It's an attack on his sovereignty. Uh, we get lifted up in pride. Well, we can do this and we can do that. And it's a, an affront to 
God is in control and God's sovereignty. We could do nothing without him. And of course, the origin of Satan's sin was pride. You see a glimpse of that in Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Isaiah 14, prophet Isaiah begins by addressing the word of the Lord to the king of Babylon and it's the word of judgment. But then in verse 12, um, he changes it uh, to, uh, O day star, O son of the uh, son of glory and son of, of heaven. And, and that becomes, means it has changed to where it's speaking of Satan. And you have these five I wills prior to Satan rebelling against God. There had only been one will in the universe, and that was God's. And Satan lifted up in pride says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five I will statements. And uh, sin, that's the first reference that we have to sin in chronological order of events that would have happened uh, from God's uh, creation. Now, some people, some of us are proud of good looks, some of their talents. Some are proud of their position at work, some of their good grades, some of their perceived goodness. Oh, you just don't know how good I am, and so on. And praise, or, or I mean pride, just oozes out of Facebook and other social media. You see it all the time. And... Uh, they are forgetting, the proud, the arrogant, are forgetting what God says in a verse that I hope will be familiar to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Where have you read that? Last Sunday morning, it was in Pastor Steve's text in the book of Matthew, where Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I mean, that is, that is a tremendous statement of Scripture. And every time we yield to pride, we have forgotten that important statement. And the most important thing that we have is our salvation. And it, it is not of us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Lest any person should what? Lest they should boast. Verse 5 continues. Uh, the arrogant in heart is an abomination. An abomination is anything disgusting and exceedingly offensive to God. Now, why is pride worse than other sins? Well, because it is a direct challenge to God, first of all, and pride prompts us to complete, to compete with God for supremacy. And then on top of that, pride sets us up against other people and we become envious and jealous of others and we put ourselves up above them. And then when pride is confronted, which it usually gets some confrontation somewhere along the line, when it is confronted, it becomes very defensive. And guess what? It produces anger. So you wrap all that up together and you have something that is an abomination to God. 
So much so that Solomon wants us to know something for sure. He says, be assured. Literally, if you have the King James, they have it literal there, hand in hand. And that doesn't make much sense to us. So that's why it's not translated that way in most modern translations. What hand in hand is talking about is a handshake. People come to agreement on something. And you can take my word. I've shaken on it. And Solomon is saying, be assured. Even more than you're assured when a deal has been struck and has been agreed to with a handshake. He says, be assured. He will not go unpunished. This is important to know because pride tries to get us to believe that um, we'll get away with it. All the time. Pride's trying to convince us, oh yeah, you can think that, you can do that, and you can get away with it. God's not going to judge you for that. And, and there are some amazing examples in the Bible of people really lifted up in pride. And they did not get away with it. God's judgment. For instance, there's Haman in the book of Esther. Oh, man, he's just oozing pride. And uh, a boy was he brought down. And uh, you read that amazing story in the book of, of uh, Esther and punished by God. Uh, one of the kings of Israel, Uzziah of all people, uh, was lifted up in pride. Uh, he should never have been. But he was lifted up in pride and God had said, I will judge pride. And he is struck with the leprosy, the most dreaded disease in all of Bible times. And then there's Nebuchadnezzar. Oh man, was he lifted up in pride in the book of Daniel. And God brings judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. He becomes like a wild animal out grazing in the grass. And uh, his fingernails grow out like claws and he looks like a wild animal. That was God's judgment on him. But boy, by the way, how special to read in the book of Daniel that he repented and uh, God's mercy was extended to him. Well, how do we combat this? It's, it's one thing to read this. Everyone who is arrogant and hard is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. But how can we deal with that? Well, the Bible tells us in the New Testament we are to grow in humility. Uh, what will help in growing in humility? Not looking and comparing ourselves with other people. Because we will always find someone who is worse than us. But instead, compare ourselves to Christ. Looking to Christ, like that verse in Hebrews 12 that we began with. Running this race, looking unto Jesus. That will do a huge job in helping us combat pride, is to constantly be looking unto Jesus. I, I recommended to someone last week that I was talking to, to every day read a portion of the Gospels. 
because as we were talking, something had come up about uh, his thoughts about Christ. And and I, I said, you know, read every day a chapter from the Gospels. Start with Matthew, then Mark, Luke, John, finish that, start all over again. So every day be reading something or a chapter of the Gospels to see Christ and to realize there's nothing in me. It's all in Christ. That is a tremendous step in that. And then also to apply Philippians 2. We've often, <clears throat> from this church, talked about Philippians 2, a great passage where Paul says, have the mind of Christ. And when he describes the mind of Christ, he shows how Christ humbled himself, left all of the glory of heaven, took upon himself the form of a man, became a man without sin, and lived among us, and even took sin on himself on the cross. And so Paul says, let that be an example. Have the same mind in you that Christ did. He came and he said he was a servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Very, very important. And what I would give this suggestion, if a friend has the courage to tell you they think that you've become proud, listen to them. Listen to his or her loving correction. Because that's not an easy thing to say to someone. But a good friend would see that and say, you know, I just see some pride coming up. Instead of defending, becoming defensive, thank the person for that. And come to God with that, asking, God, show me, is this in my life? And as he would reveal it, then to confess it. Our third proverb tonight is live free from the bondage of sin. And that's in verse 6. Now, the first half of verse 6 speaks of atonement for sin. That is what God has done to provide forgiveness. Atonement for sin is in the first half. In the second half of the verse, it speaks of the avoidance of sin. So uh, this verse deals with both sides uh, of dealing with the emphasis on freedom from sin. First side, what God has done. Second side is talking about uh, what uh, uh, we are to do to avoid sin. Look at verse 6. He says, by steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are two wonderful expressions, uh, steadfast love and faithfulness. But I'm surprised that commentators on Proverbs are divided on who this is speaking about. Some commentators say that the steadfast love and faithfulness here refers to God's faithfulness and steadfast love. Others say it refers to the believer's steadfast love and faithfulness. I believe it refers to God. I think that's the most obvious answer here, as we'll see as we go through this. So think of it as by God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, that expression, steadfast love, is the translation of one Hebrew word, 
which we have a lot in the Old Testament. You've probably heard it and read it in Bible study. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. That is God's covenant love. And it's referred to so many times in the Old Testament. It's a love that will never diminish. It will, it's a love that will never stop. It's a love that God continues to give. And uh, it is wrapped up in his grace. And it's a wonderful term in the Old Testament. His covenant love. And uh, that is then seen in his work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That was part of his covenant love of paying the price for our sin. But here's where it's going. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity, that's a word for sin, of course, is atoned for. Now, man tries to get rid of his sin. Man tries to atone for his sin in all kinds of ways, by getting into religion, into external ceremonies, into good deeds. I mean, it abounds in this country and all over the world. People go to all kinds of of links, trying on their own to make atonement and, and get forgiveness of sin. But God does it, and he alone does it, but he does it by the blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of blood of the innocent Lamb of God, his Son. Now, God sent his Son, who paid the price for the salvation from sin for everyone that would repent and believe in him, put their faith in him. Now, I mentioned that some people believe that the steadfast love and faithfulness refers to believers. Faithfulness and steadfast love. Those who do that go on to say that although the word atoned in this verse, we're used to using it in the biblical sense of atoning God's atonement for our sin. They say, yes, it's usually used that way, but later the same Hebrew word is used in verse 14. In the ESV, it's translated appease, but it is the same Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word for covering, which is what an atonement is, covering our sin. And there in that verse, and they say, you know, that's not in a redemptive sense. That's in a relational sense. And so they say that this atonement is not referring to peace with God, but peace of man with other people. And then they say the second line speaks about how to avoid disaster in personal relationships. But I don't think that's the obvious meaning of it. So let's get back to what I think is the obvious meaning. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. So that's God taking care of sin. Next phrase. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Fear of the Lord is a wonderful expression that we've seen several times in Proverbs. It's found in Psalms as well. We've seen that it's a reverence for God. It's a concern to give God glory. And it's a concern to give God the honor, along with having a dread of doing something that doesn't bring glory 
and honor to God. And so this fear of the Lord that he's talking about, look what he says. By the fear of the Lord, this great reverence for God, one turns away from evil. That's what every believer wants to do. We didn't before we were changed by the power of God in salvation. Oh, once in a while we might say, yeah, I'd like to change. But for the most part, we went our whole life saying, uh, we're fine. But the believer wants this tremendous trait of turning away from evil. How do we do that? Well, Romans 6, which is a very important chapter for every believer. Let's turn there. Romans 6 shows how the fear of the Lord is the key to turning away from sin. And you can look at the whole chapter, and I encourage we should all frequently meditate on the whole sixth chapter of Romans. But tonight, let's just look at verses 12 to 14, and then in verse 17. Look at verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your body, your mortal body. The idea of reign means run the show. Don't let sin run the show in your mortal body. Um, but... Uh, to, to make you obey its passions. And then he goes on in verse 13, and he gives uh, the first of two steps to enable us to resist temptation. And the first step is in the first part of verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So step number one, is don't present your members. What are the members? Those are the different body parts that we have. For instance, don't present your tongue to gossip or to tell lies. Don't present your mind to worry. Don't present your eyes to look at wrong images or your feet to go to places where you are tempted. And you can go on and on and on with this. But the point is, don't present these different members, these different parts of our body as instruments. That's a, a word that is often used for weapons. Don't turn the bar parts of your body into a weapon that is to be used uh, as, a, as a weapon to get you to sin. But then here's step number two. But... Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So do present your body to God, but don't present your members to unrighteousness. Then look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion. That's a tremendous promise. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We cannot, according to Scripture, be brought back again into the absolute bondage that we were in into sin. I said absolute bondage. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we do yield to sin. 
And there is some bondage, but not the absolute bondage. That's why Jesus came, was to free us from that. Matthew one twenty one, the promise before Jesus was born, Jesus shall save his people from their sins. Then skip down to verse 17. In verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. That's where the connection with the fear of the Lord comes in. This is, this is a fruit of our salvation. This is a fruit of our, our reverence for God. And our heart is in tune with that. And so he says, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, that is, the teaching of Christ, the teaching that's in the New Testament, to which you were committed. That's an interesting idea, that when God saves a sinner, it's kind of the picture that God puts that sinner, now a saint, declared righteous, into the mold of God's truth and is molding his life or her life to be like Jesus Christ. That's wrapped up in that that phrase, the teaching to which you were committed. That's part of that refining process that someday will reach its culmination when we see Jesus uh, face to face. So I ask a question. Are you turning away from sin daily? Be rooted in the fear of the Lord and apply uh, Romans chapter 6. Well, we have a fourth uh, Proverbs tonight, and that is in verse 7. To be a peacemaker. Look at verse 7 back in... Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord. Now, uh, how do we please the Lord? We do it by living by faith. Hebrews eleven six. but without possible, but without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. So how do we please God? By coming to him by faith, living by faith. But the Bible takes that a step further. Faith that pleases God is an obedient faith. And that's uh, mentioned by James in James chapter 1 and 2. So we live by faith, and we live by a faith that is obedient to God. Now part of that obedience is loving our enemies. And that's what the next part of verse 7 is talking about. When a man's ways please the Lord, He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, commentators are divided on this phrase, too, like in the earlier phrase that we looked at. Some of the commentators uh, say that the he refers to God. God is the one who makes even this person's enemies to be at peace with him. Other commentators uh, say that it is referring to man. I, 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 tend, I wouldn't be dogmatic on it, but I would tend to take it that way, that this proverb is talking about what we are to be involved in. 
that we are to be involved in making even our enemies to be at peace with us. In other words, we're to be a peacemaker. It's kind of interesting timing because last Sunday in the adult Sunday school class, we began a series on becoming a peacemaker. And I believe that's what this proverb uh, is, is talking about. So I think this proverb is really telling us to do the seventh beatitude. So turn back to, or turns to Matthew. We won't be back to Proverbs, so I don't think you have to hold on to it. But the, the beatitudes are found in Matthew 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 9, we have the seventh beatitude, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, in this verse, and in our verse in Proverbs, a peacemaker is a person who, through faith in Christ, that was obvious in the verse in Proverbs. It's obvious here when you look at the earlier Proverbs, excuse me, Beatitudes, especially verse 2 and 3, uh, are, are, and, and, well, excuse me, verse 3 and 4 and 5, really are elements of a person coming to salvation. And you can study that and learn about that. So this is talking about a peacemaker is a person who has faith in Jesus Christ. They've come to peace with God. That's one of the great teachings of the New Testament. And in these people, God is dealing with the root problem of conflict with others and is enabling them to be a peacemaker. Now, in Matthew 5, in verses 21 to 26, Jesus goes on and goes leaves the Beatitudes and goes to some other things, but he shows what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker reconciles with others. Look at verse 21 in, here in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother, that's more than a biological brother. Uh, this is talking about all who are in your circle of friends, all who are in your family, all who are your co-workers, all that you go to school with, that kind of thing. He who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That would be a Jewish council, kind of like a Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And he goes on. Then in verses 38 to 41, he shows something else a peacemaker does, and that is he does not seek revenge. Uh, look at verse 38. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, in the Old Testament, it talked about if someone, if someone um, got mad and hit you and knocked a tooth out, uh, injustice, that person's tooth could be cut out. But 
knocked out. But the point was, you don't kill him over it. You, you have the punishment meet the crime. But um, Jesus is saying, but we're dealing with something totally different. Verse 39, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn in the other also. That is an insult. In those days, that was the biggest way that you could insult a person, would be to slap them like that. And uh, in our culture, we are not literally slapped. It's not very often that someone insults you by slapping you. Usually it's by words and things like that. But uh, people try to destroy our reputation. There are people who um, say terrible things about you. That especially happens with kids at school. And Jesus says, don't strike back at them. When our younger son, Mark, was in, I want to say sixth grade. I could be somewhere around that. And he was in a Christian school. There was a boy in his class who was always bullying him. And uh, he would come home and he would talk about that. And what should he do? And one day Terry was driving him to school. And they said, let's, let's pray for him. And so they began to pray for this guy. And then, not too long after they started praying for him, uh, Mark is on the playground, and he turns to him and he says, How can I pray for you? And the guy answered that and never bullied him again. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen just that way if that does, someone else does that, but that's an example of a peacemaker. Instead of striking back, uh, he was a peacemaker. And uh, these verses go on to talk about another uh, thing that a peacemaker does in verses 43 to 48. He loves his enemies and prays for his persecutors. Uh, verse 44 uh, continues, But I say to you, love your enemies. That's sacrificial love. That's not just emotion. But give of yourself to them. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And uh, uh, it talks about you know praying for your enemies and so on. Uh, people who are mean to us, people who snub us and are impatient with us. Uh, pray. What do we pray for them for? We pray for their salvation. We pray uh, that they would know the Lord and that they would know and do God's will. We pray that God would provide their needs. And on and on and on it goes. And then on top of that, Paul shows something else the peacemaker does. And that's in 2 Corinthians five seventeen to 21. We won't turn there, but that is to share the gospel. To be the person giving the message to that person how they can have the best peace, which is peace with God, to be reconciled with God. Well, turning, like I said, we were through with Matthew. Well, we were through with uh, um, 
Proverbs six, uh, from Proverbs sixteen. But turn it, turning back to our verse in Matthew five and verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And in Jewish thinking, a son of meant a person has the characteristics of, and a person who is a peacemaker has the characteristics of their heavenly Father. One who makes peace. After all, God is called the the God of peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, and the Holy Spirit is given to produce the fruit of peace. And so, when we are a peacemaker, we are seen to be a child of the God of peace. So, I ask the question: Who do you need to make peace with? And if the Spirit of God would bring someone to mind, make that a priority in the next days to be a peacemaker with that person. Well, our time is up, so let's just quickly summarize how we apply these four Proverbs. Are you doing everything to the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10.39, whatever you eat or drink or do, do all to the glory of God. The second one in verse 5, are you full of pride or are you growing in humility? Confess your sin of pride and apply Philippians 2 to have the mind of Christ and spend time daily in the word about Christ, such as in the Gospels. The third one in verse 6, are you turning away from sin daily? Be rooting yourself in the fear of God. And the fourth one, verse 7, why do you need, who do you, excuse me, who do you need to make peace with? And are you sharing with others how they can be reconciled with God? Who would the Lord have you to share the gospel with? Let's pray. Father, how we do thank you for these Proverbs. Father, these are, these are issues we deal with every day. Maybe even in this day, there has been the temptation for pride and uh, to yield to sin and uh, all these things, Father, to strike back in retaliation. Lord, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would apply what your word teaches us in these Proverbs. And Father, we pray that anyone watching or listening who doesn't know Christ would realize this is not something they can do on their own, but they need to first come. How how does a person please you? Come by faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of sin, trust him, and you will make us a new creation with the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Spirit working in our life to do these things. Bless your word to our hearts tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.